Hey y'all, so thank you for listening to our brand new podcast. My name is Kenny, and alongside is my partner, Guillermo. Guillermo, why don't you introduce yourself, uh, your background, your history, and how you'll be inputting your experience into everything that we'll be talking about within this podcast. Of course. So yeah, my name is Guillermo Barajona. I've been here in Vegas for 15 years now. Uh, Have been involved in two industries mainly, um, politics and of course uh, production. Politics I've been involved in since 2008, so I've been been here my fair share of elections for both presidential, midterms, so, you know, I've interned twice for presidential campaigns. I did once for a governor's race in 2010, and I did some interning, volunteering for like 2016, not as much, uh, since those were the days that I was in production. Now, last year, I was involved with one of the state parties for their, um, for the midterms, in which we managed to succeed in getting quite a few of those office numbers and I currently work for an environmental nonprofit sort of like a second chapter in which you try to sort of um, deliver help the people that you helped elect deliver on those promises especially when it comes to environmental policy yeah and who did you elect who did you guys help elect last year um, I know you were working for a particular governor in the state and uh, locally so since I work for the Democratic Party you know we work for the entire ticket up and down, all the way from, all the way up at the top from senator, governor, that we had those two spots, all the way down to your local assembly person here in the state, or even the Clark County commissions, some of the Clark County commissioners and uh, Clark County clerk. Yeah, and a big name that you guys got elected is, of course, Steve Sisolak. Yeah, that's the governor, current yeah. governor of Nevada, Steve Sisolak, which carries the name of being the first Democratic governor in the state since in the past 20 years. And the first one to have broken sort of like this curse of like the Clark County Commission. Yeah, because for a long time, uh, Nevada was actually a Republican state, wasn't it? It's been on, it's been change. It's been like one of those like wave states since you see times in like early 50s. In the early 50s, you saw this like boom in the city with all the entertainment celebrities and of course corruption scandals and you, you had democratic governors at, at those times and then you see changes with republican governors in the past 20 years also that every single one either carries a good name or carries their own scandal got it and um tell me about your background in college i know you were a pretty you're pretty big in the uh, political section oh yes so for um for schooling i started off with engineering but i graduated history at UNLV. So that's my sort of educational background. I've done classes for mathematics, calculus, stru- you know, stuff for engineers, and at the same time, history and how everything changes gradually over time. So that's where sort of the political experience delves in, seeing how the changes in society and, of course, in the country, sort of what shapes how the political cycle tends to go. Yeah, so uh, assume, the safe, assume safe to say that you're always kind of big into the historical side of the United States and now putting yourself within the political arms of uh, everything that you do now. That is correct. I mean, mostly my main expertise is Western history of the United States. It's all about the railroads and all the stuff from the 1840s to present time. Is there a certain part of history within that that is your favorite? Between the railroads, the current... 20th century is always mm. so intriguing since you see the last of like those old 
like what you see in those penny novels or like those old westerns, the whole like rugged individualism ideas or even the prospect or like all of that is like transitioning to like super high industrial mm. to what we have today. In a single century you saw us riding on horses to riding on planes, having satellites on the moon and everywhere else. So all of the past hundred years is just so exciting and tragic at the same time. Yeah, it's been, um, I think it's safe to say that now it's, well, I think we're in one of the best shapes in human mankind history, being that it's 2019 and that we have all the advances that we have, technology and everything that 2019 has to offer us. I mean, you look at back in Western time when things were on railroad to now having Teslas, right? I think uh, technology and everything, and just humanity has come so far. Um, so just want to give you all a little breakdown. We are recording in a public library, so there's uh, some sort, there's a lot of noise going around. Um, so we're actually in a study room, but there's a little bit of noise, so uh, we apologize for that. But this is our first and child episode, so we want to just take advantage of our local public libraries. Um, okay, so thank you for that. A little background about me. Uh, I am a digital producer. Uh, so essentially we create content for a lot of uh, tech companies within the Bay Area. A lot of my bigger clients are Toshiba Hitachi. Where politics really stem within me is that, you know, I am a green card holder, so I'm not allowed to vote. Uh, but my parents and I have always been super passionate about what, everything that's going on. Um, and I've always been big into politics ever since Bush. Bush was my first election that I actually remembered of. Uh, so I remember, you know, of course, the World Trade Center. Um, I remember uh, hanging chads. And this is at the age of, I think, I was in seventh grade. So that was my first big particular memory of politics. And even uh, stemming into now where we are these last 17, 18 years um, have really driven me into everything that's in the political realm. I think it's because a lot of my background, a lot of my friends' background, especially, um, you know, my, a lot of my friends that are in LA that are still DACA or undocumented, it really impacts immigrants like us in a huge way to get involved in the community and get involved with politics and everything that's going on because you know, more so even on the national side, local side is what really matters. So today is November 4th, 2019, and it is exactly 364 days until a general election, which is November 3rd. So essentially in this podcast, we're gonna be talking about everything alongside the way from now, November 4th, to November 3rd of next year. So we'll be diving deep into uh, the caucuses, we'll be diving deep into primaries, um, Super Tuesday, National Convention, General Convention, and everything else between that that makes up the 364 days. So today we are talking about all the caucuses, starting from Iowa to uh, New Hampshire, Nevada, uh, and in South Carolina, and how that really impacts, uh, and that, and how that really impacts the general election cycle. So one thing that has always been interesting for me is the caucuses because I particularly do not know how a lot of that works. And I know the first caucus we have is the Iowa caucus, um, and that's 91 days away. Yes. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? What's the significant importance? What's the significant importance of the caucuses and what do they mean in the general election cycle? For caucuses, we have mainly two states that do them. Not everybody else does them. So it's Iowa and ourselves here in Nevada. 
the significance of the states depends on the scheduling, the, the, depending on the pri uh, who, which party has done that. If I remember correctly, the, the Democrats started doing this like in '72, establishing Iowa as like the first ch choice state when it comes to electing their nominee for the presidential election. So. Likewise, for here in Nevada, we have gotten a lot of political momentum in the past 11 years since Nevada was moved up in that schedule. So Nevada was the first state in the West that got a chance to sort of decide the, f the voice of who should be the nominee for the party. And likewise, both parties have sort of followed through with that one in the past uh, decade or so. You have a lot of money being invested in the main three states, mostly in these two states that we have a caucus because Unlike a primary, like in South Carolina and New Hampshire, they get to just go to the bowling, polling locations and, of course, set, cast their votes for their candidate. And by the end of the evening, we see what those results are. For states like here and, 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 and in Iowa, a caucus is more of like a, let me explain it to you in a simple way. Imagine a room full of people. All of those people come into this room supporting their own candidate. When it comes to like a roll call or like a moment to take down who's here for what candidate, those numbers are taken down for which person they're supporting. So the majority one sort of wins that precinct, that location. So then from those precincts, all of this data is collected across the counties and across the state so that we have the final number of how many people from the party that are registered voters there supported this candidate. And how many, how many people are usually, how many people usually turn out for the caucus? It depends on the election. For 2008, since it was, I guess, the election at the end of that decade, you had a larger turnout compared to what was in 16. 16 was a bit of a mess here in Nevada. Many people will tell you how um, disorganized it was. To that end, that's why the current process that the, the state party is doing is a more organized caucus and more accessibility for voters. If they're un unable to show up at these locations to be there for three, sometimes four hours at a time, to cast their intention for this candidate, that's what makes it more complicated because it's not like going to the polls like how it is here in Nevada for like an election. I can just go to my supermarket where there's a polling location during early voting. I can cast my bone and be done with it. Hmm. In a caucus, you gotta be in the room present or in this case, you're gonna be available to use the many options that they're offering this year, which I believe is phone caucus and then of course early caucusing. So the, the people of Iowa or people within this caucus, they're, they're able to participate within the caucus, whether it's a, they show up to a physical location, but they're also able to phone in? Uh, that's one of the proposals here in Nevada. I'm not sure, mm. how, not entirely savvy of how Iowa's doing it what other options they have if they're expanding from like the in-person caucusing. What's interesting about them though is since they have sort of that traditional role in this electoral process, a lot of campaigns are going to be mostly investing in that one, like what's here in Nevada. So like the first three states, you see that. There's a bit more significance nowadays of how representative of the country these states are. So you have Iowa is more like the form, sort of the tech, green industries, and what the mis what Midwestern culture is. And that's what it sort of represents. Uh, here in Nevada, we have a unique chance always um, because we have a bit more of like a better sample of the soup that is the entire country. So why are, why are candidates putting so much money and putting so much effort into Iowa? I know Pete, 
is hunkering down over there. Um, I know Beto canceled his when he dropped out. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to speak at their, their luncheon or their dinner, right? Yes. Why, why are candidates spending so much money and spending so much focus and attention into Iowa mm-hmm. as their first caucus? Once again, dealing with the topic of tradition. Uh, since these, these states have been so long, the first people to give like a voice, it's sort of become almost like a, a tradition or almost depending, like a superstition almost, that if you don't win Iowa, since it's the very first state that you can get to win, if you can't win that state, what does that make you think you can carry the other states? Right. So the money is invested in the early states for that reason. If you can win the first three contests, that means that you have a better chance of winning not only like the rest of the countries in your primary, but also getting a chance to actually carry the country through. Have, I mean, have history shown, have history shown in the last few elections that the winners of Iowa are generally the winners of general election? Oh, gosh. Um, let's see. Depends. Yeah. For example, Barack Obama, if I remember correctly, he's the one that won the, the Iowa caucus. However, he lost here in Nevada to Hillary. So you see that their representations, even though, even though he eventually carried the rest of the country, those states where you might lose might prove a different opinion of what was the political landscape then. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about some let's talk about some things that are happening in Iowa. So, as you said, Iowa is more of a traditional valued. Um, they're into farming, farmland. Even now, they're in they're getting into green renewable energy. Yes, they have been one of the main manufacturers of wind turbines in the country in the past decade. So that means that they have a different industry on top of farming that supports their economy. Yeah. So. Did, did Trump win Iowa last year? In 16, you mean? Uh, putting this into perspective, so the Democrats are the ones that hold these caucuses, not the Republicans. They have like a center primary. Why? No idea. So yes, he won Iowa in his primary. He, he won against uh, Ted Cruz mostly. Whereas for the Democrats in that caucus for Iowa, Hillary barely won that one, but there was a lot of controversy in the process. I see. So the caucus itself is two separate things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So caucus is so. Think about it this way: like when we talk about the caucuses, we talk about what the Democrats are doing. So, so each, I mean, essentially each party <coughs> have their own caucus side, and that they're doing the vote on. Yes. So they. So. The Democratic Party, since they established that, like, scheduling, like, they change it towards Iowa being the first to vote, then the Republicans follow through in the next election. So, but they have primaries. They don't have caucuses. Only the Democrats. Like I said before, I don't know why. It's one of those old traditional things, I guess. Wait, so the, the caucus, the Democrats... It's exclusive to the party. Right, right. Okay, so the caucus have their own exclusivity to the party with Democrats and yeah, Republicans, so and they pick. Uh-huh, because you cannot participate in these things unless you register to that party. So think about it in this perspective. In 2008, well, here, not even 2008, here in Nevada, there was a bit of a chit chat going on in like 08 and then 2012 that right leading up to these caucuses and primaries for both parties people will switch party allegiances just to go for the other person and try to spoil the 
the nomination by voting for their worst possible candidate in their own opinion. I see. So people people are essentially. But that's just like a like it's one of those street talk type of things. I see. So that happens. It tends to happen, not like in a giant scale probably, but it tends to happen. That is interesting. Because in order for you to participate in these primaries or the caucuses, you got to be a member of those parties. I see. So people are are essentially switching allegiance on paper just to screw up, just to screw with all the parties. That's a possibility. Got on it. top of like the people that are registered because they have been forever registered as this one party, or they feel like you know what, I want to give my voice in this too, and I'm going to switch my party allegiance because I want this can this candidate to have at least some sort of voice available. Interesting. Okay, so let's let's go back to Iowa. Um, how do you think Iowa will fend this year? It's unique, per se since you have the main three candidates right now. You have Biden, you have Bernie, and you have Warren. From these three candidates, you have Bernie, of course, following up from picking up his support, wherever that might be, that still is still loyal to him since 16. Then you have Warren here, who has been like, jumped first on this, this year's train of big money elections, so, She's been having field staff since February, March. So they've been here almost a year. Some of these people organizing, trying to rally the community to say, hey, you know, registered Democrat, or like, hey, I know you haven't voted in like many elections. Come on down and see why she's the person that we need. And then, of course, you see the more traditionalist route with Biden, the more moderate, the more like centrist candidate that is high profile. He's still got a, he's still got a huge following, and that's why he's polling so high still. Yeah, but let's so let's talk about on the Republican sides um, on the primary. If no one primaries against Trump, how does that work? Okay, so that one has been interesting because in the past month we have seen four states nix their primaries, so they don't allow other candidates to run against them. It sort of happened the same thing with Barack back in two thousand and twelve, that not, not, there was nobody that seemed to be the candidate, like somebody that would challenge the current president, or if there was some movements for that, it was like they didn't get enough funding or they didn't get enough traction. So you see some people for the current Republican primary that are like kind of upset because you have these two candidates, Joe Walsh and William Weld, that they really want to put a primary. They want to really want to make the president war for, for his renomination. Though in the end, we will see what the parties decide what the National Committee decides. Because here in Nevada, we already nixed our primary. The chair of the Republican Party here in the state, they already said, we're not gonna have a primary against the president. So when does the committee decide that? Isn't that, I mean, isn't that a little strange? Or has that? Since it's happened for both parties before, uh, since you wanna reelect your incumbent, when there's no voting whatsoever in the primaries for your candidate, that means we're just gonna go straight into the, into the, convention itself. So what does Joe Walsh and Bill Weld, Bill Weld do? They have been like ramping up their efforts to either sue or like make statements on social media, Twitter for example. Both campaigns or both candidates have been sort of pushing this narrative of like, look, they're not letting our party have a voice. And that's sort of what you want to do. You want to control your message so that there is more outrage, there are more people standing up, 
regardless of what you think or what's going on with impeachment procedures, you still have the party that has their own their own people that are going to be loyal to the current president, or they want to try to say, you know what, let's open this up a little bit. What are your? I mean, what do you think the chances of that are? <laughs> I don't know, unfortunately, because back in '16, I had the full faith and confidence we were not going to be living in days like this. And I have been in the game since 2008, so here I thought I had some knowledge from based on what the field tells you, since field is the the bread of any grassroots campaign. If you don't have a field team out there knocking doors, making phone calls, or doing some sort of vote or outreach, you're not gonna get anywhere in your campaign. Yeah, so I mean, even looking at that, right, so does Joe and Bill, do they go independent? Do they stay? I am not sure about that. Right. If, if they manage to fight a lot, if they manage to actually convince these other states, like, hey, we want a primary, we want a primary this guy, then we'll see what happens. But as of right now, it seems that there's a lot of talking from these two guys that are not getting enough attention or they're just being ignored. Yeah, the chances of that are kind of going to be kind of slim, huh? especially what's happening now with the Republican Party. Um, I mean, even just going back, right? So with, with Iowa living in such a traditional value and with the uh, overload of uh, farms that are out there, I mean, looking back, like how how will they proceed in the next year, knowing that everything that Trump has promised them uh, essentially has failed in their farmlands? It really depends who you ask, because some people are really they really want their guy, they really like their guy, no matter what their policies may be, or they think their policy is going to work out in the end. And but that happens with anybody, any candidate has their own like near cultist following that is going to follow this candidate until the ends of the earth. Huh. And, and traditionally, how much, how much are candidates spending on, on the caucus on, this, on uh, Iowa? A, a few million dollars. And, that's, a and that's just the caucus. We're not talking about the billions that will be spent by both campaigns, by both parties, come next year for the general. And that's large, that's a good percentage of um, their fundraising, right? Because they, they know that this is a make all, of, this is not a make all or break all, is it? Winning Iowa? Well, it's, since it's such a valued state, you want to win this. So if polling comes out and let's say uh, Mayor Pete or Kamala and they don't see uh, the turnout in Iowa, do they drop out? Some people have. Some people see their camp back in those days, 2004, 2006, 2000, 2008, I'm sorry. Some candidates, some of the lower tier candidates, they may have dropped out. Or they may have won Iowa or New Hampshire and then they get destroyed in the rest of the primaries. Hmm. And how are we, how are we looking in, uh, in our home state? Well, it's curious you mentioned that because there was just a poll right now that was uh, disseminated by John Ralston's The Independent, in which currently Biden is the one leading the entire race right now. Well, 29% of uh, the people that were uh, surveyed, he's got 29% in his polls here in Nevada. Then you got Bernie and Warren at even 19%, and then everybody else is like, what, 5%. Hmm. I mean, we're talking like mostly Buttigieg, Kamala, and uh, Cory Booker. Okay, so as you were saying, um, Biden now has a 29% vote, uh, or what it looks like it's appearing to be in the early turnout. But I know Nevada is 
such a mishmash of uh, millennials and boomers from everywhere within Washoe to uh, Ely um, and Reno, everything else. Because Nevada is a pretty rural state, is it not? It is. But most of the populations are concentrated either here in Vegas for Clark County or up in Reno for Washoe. Yeah, but then everybody's is just spread out in like all the rurals. But the rurals tend to show their, they speak their mind a lot when it comes to elections and some of their own movements when stuff happens at the Nevada legislature. Yeah, and okay, so with, with Nevada being so spread out, because what makes up the majority of the population in Nevada is Vegas and Reno. But in, in a caucus way, how do people in all those little cities get together to make up that caucus? You see, that's sort of how it sort of works better, I guess, to an, to an extent for a caucus. You bring everybody that's spread out together into the one room for some time period. However, with the party this year expanding to early caucusing and then the by phone caucusing, I don't know if that one got struck down by the DNC, it gives more accessibility for people to be able to be involved in this process. And it's not like it's not like a primary, of course, like I told you before, because here's just about the presidential nominee. We're not talking about what's gonna happen later on in June for the primary, when people that are running for Congress, what are running for a state assembly, state senate, those people that are gonna be running out for re-election, gonna drop out, and those spots that need to be filled out. Yeah, I mean, even looking back, um, these two states have such a huge impact on um, the general election itself, mm -hmm. right? They do. They certainly do. Since, though sometimes you're not going to get Iowa, many times, uh, I guess, the more progressive candidates, they don't get Iowa in the general. They may get it in the caucus, but not in the general. Hmm. Uh, since it's, it's, it's a Midwestern state. Midwestern states tend to be more rural, more conservative, more traditional in their ideas of voting. But we'll see what happens this time around. Yeah, I mean, I think what's so interesting about Nevada as a state is that, like, what makes up most of Vegas are actually people from California that moved up here, like myself. Oh, yeah, yeah. We get people from the Midwest. We get people from California. They're the, the main imports, I guess, of people into the states. So you get... You've seen that nowadays since last election, how voting habits that were raised in California that are now moving here because of living costs or whatever economic opportunities they brought them here, those voting habits, either they change or they get strengthened or they get shaped by who's carrying the message. For example, let's see, here in Clark County, one of the biggest forces to get voters to turn out is the culinary union. They got about 65,000 members, and I think about 50,000 of them came out to the elections last year for the midterms. So they have a huge organizing power. Despite how maybe in other states, unions are not as powerful, here in Nevada, the culinary union is one of the top, top dogs when it comes to their political gain because they have the most members or one of the most populous um, groups here in the state. So they get their people out to vote. And when they endorse somebody for the presidential, that's almost like the blessing for the state. Just as how they have been trying to convince Harry Reid to give them their endorsement. Since even though he's out of the Senate, when he was still a powerhouse, you sort of wanted to consult Harry Reid because of that ruthlessness that he carried, whether for benefit or for hate from his fellow constituency here in Nevada.
Yeah. So, to confirm, when is uh, the caucus for Nevada? It's February 22nd. February 22nd. Mm -hmm. That's 110 days from uh, Iowa is? February 3rd. February 3rd. So those are two important dates you guys should, uh, being, should be paying attention to, especially if you live in Nevada. You also have, the, we don't talk about much about the primary, because I mean, New Hampshire is the first primary. They're voting February 11th, and that's like, right, that's, that's stuck in the middle of Bernie and Warren County. In New Hampshire? Yeah. Because wow. next door is Vermont, next door is Massachusetts. All right, so I know we talked a little bit about the importance of caucus and um, stated the two main days for Iowa and Nevada. Let's talk about primaries and what they mean um, to the national side, the local side. Well, for the presidential, since it's a presidential year next year, you have New Hampshire is the first primary state that comes in, for the Democrats at least. So you have this chance to show what New England wants to talk about. So you have all those northeastern states, they got their ch chance of saying which one is their candidate when it comes to the New Hampshire primary. So that's why some of the other, t that's why the main candidates have all been investing in New Hampshire so that when people come out to the voting blocks for their presidential candidate in New Hampshire, we're gonna see how the standard voting does. So it's gonna be more decisive right off the bat because you're gonna have one day, all day voting, and then boom, we'll hear by seven o'clock, eight o'clock our time, I think. Who participates in the primaries? Primaries is always the members of the party. So if you're not registered for a political party, you cannot participate in any primaries people that are registered nonpartisan because maybe they don't want to deal with any of the, uh, the parties, they got to wait until the general election. But of course, at least here in Nevada, you're free to change your party every week if you want to. If you want to change your uh, affiliation, let's say, for the Democratic Party, for because you, like, you would like to see Julian Castro's message to go forward, you're going to register as a Democrat, show your voice for him in the caucus, and have a nice day. And then you can re-register as a Republican the next day, to vote in the Republican primary, if there was one, obviously, for the presidential. Now, if we're talking for state offices or state representatives, then you're gonna have to wait until the main primary in June 9th for both parties or for all the parties for you to have your voice in if you want these incumbents to have their shot at going for re-election or if you want somebody brand new, but for your party. That's a lot of info, my man. I'm sorry, that's, that's, it's a lot of information, so we can break it down, too, uh, if you want to. That is a lot of info. I'm thinking that we should do, like, notes for these things, because these are, like, yeah. We're going to need some, we're going to need probably, like, a s s brainstorm session. Man, because that's, that's really a lot of, like, stuff to... It's a really dense podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's good though. Yeah, it is. We want to inform people at the same time. We want to entertain them, but we want to have a little education side, I guess. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think about like how deep, because man, that's a lot. And that was, not a, that was not a full deep dive. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're not talking about voting patterns. We're not talking about like the political drama that has been going on here for, since the past year and whatever, so. In where? Here in Nevada. Because in 16, you have people win, you know, you have like your first showing, full showing of Democrats, because 
we had this whole like gradual change here in the state of like from red to like blue I guess in 2014 there was not a lot of excitement for people to come out to vote so that's why all the Republicans won almost all the offices here in the state we're talking like the state senate state um, assembly the governor once again that's why it was Brian Sandoval once again and oh who else so at the state level Democrats completely got destroyed so then since then they have been like in the trainings and of course in the mindset it's like all right we're not going to let that stuff happen again so for 16 there was a major showing by all groups all the political affiliations to the democrats or the progressives to say we're no more of this again so that's why there was a push and they won they took the assembly they took the senate like a simple majority and they won the presidency yeah it's a full takeover huh yeah because uh, but not, not as big or just to, or not like the compliment that was given last year. There was a supermajority, and he had like state executive offices that were now populated by Democrats. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. Like, or why are people that are you know living in the states itself like mm. why are they not out there voting? It depends on your voting habits or your political knowledge or if you're aware. It's by this point those that are sort of involved in this whole political processes we know that what the city councils what the clerk what the county commissions and what the state assemblies state legislatures what they vote and what the laws they pass they have more of an effect on us than what the federal government does yeah i mean it affects us in so many ways mm-hmm. right it goes from everywhere from your roads to uh fire departments police departments and all these little budgetary things that really just people don't think about so i, I really want to raise the issue of where awareness within that and have people vote locally oh yeah absolutely i mean many people start their careers like that they feel like they can do better for their neighborhood and they're gonna run for their state assembly and here in nevada we got what 42 assembly seats and most of them are located right here in southern nevada for clark county and it's your chance to sort of either engage in politics at a local level or just wait for the off years. The problem that we have here in Nevada with our elections is that sure, we are gonna put a lot of effort and money for like the state assemblies, the Congress people, the senators, the governors, or the presidential. However, sometimes we have municipal elections for the city of Las Vegas, the city of North Las Vegas, the city of Henderson. These are municipal cities that they have their own boundaries that don't cover everything, for example but they also have a huge effect. So you see, if you're noticing the news right now, we have the mayor of the city and some people are introducing this bill that is gonna affect people that are homeless. And many of the presidential candidates have sort of voiced their opposition to this because it's just gonna throw people in jail and people that don't have opportunities or are not seeking opportunities, they're getting screwed. They're gonna get screwed and we're paying out of pocket. Yeah, talk a little more about um, the bill that that they put up for uh, the homelessness bill. So to my understanding, it's a bill that if you're caught, like, lying on the streets in what the official city of Las Vegas is, you can get either fined $1,000 or you're going to go to jail for six months. Yeah, I think it's a really fucked up thing. It's terrible because, so you're going to find people that probably don't have opportunity, don't have access to any official money and, or shelter. And some of these shelters in downtown Vegas, mostly they are at capacity. If you drive down Main Street and near Bonanza, which is like right in between Vegas and North Las Vegas, 
around 7, 8 p.m., you're going to see tent city. You're going to see people lying down on the streets, on the sidewalks, because either there's no spot in the shelter, so they couldn't get to the shelter, so they just they just gave up. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, even on a local side, you know, I know um, when Tony and Downtown Project took over five years ago, yes. um, the, the mass amount of movements within the homeless sector going even from D Street to everywhere else, they got pushed out. Mm -hmm. But as last as I was aware of it, they were, they were building some uh, a homeless encampment up north in North Vegas, weren't they? Nearby uh, Anderson Dairy? I believe so. Um, I haven't checked out that area lately. Uh, since I just, since when I was in production, you know, when we both worked there, it was like, I'll do my rounds because I take some of the Shoker home and they'll be like early North Vegas. So you will see those areas that are like tents next to the streets, but not like an official like area where people just are setting up camp, setting up shop. Yeah, I, I wonder what the goal is for that. And I think, um, you know, if you're a local to Vegas and you live here and you've seen these uh, activities around, you know, it has to be some sort of uh, heart-wrenching thing because, as you know, in Vegas it gets cold. It does. It does get cold. Not at the extreme levels that we will see in other cities, like it gets super frozen. That's still concerning because it gets chilly. It's not like a humid cold. It's like a dry cold. And that pierces through your skin if you haven't been here in the desert. Yeah, I mean, a lot of I, think, I don't think a lot of people know this, but in the you know fall winter time, and from when to this November to February, uh, around there it gets as low as low thirties, high twenties. Mm -hmm. You know, even when you're going out, I'm in downtown a lot, and even the past couple of days before uh, this little warm streak is going on, it was thirty seven, thirty five. Um, and as you were saying, it was a dry cold, and it is cold. Uh, so that's something that I really feel for people that are living out there. And I really wonder what um, the, the, the major uh, drive that the mayor is pushing behind this. Because I feel like there's, there has to be a better way for the homeless encampment to, to be placed. There could be a better way. Um, there is a better way. Uh, though I'm guessing, my guess is I haven't really been super involved in this current fight. It's to clean up the city, to sort of clear all the streets or from any trash, any rubble, anything, or any like poop pee that you might see, like any body like uh, waste that is, sort of appears all across downtown. So I guess in that effort to beautify, or even some people will say it like in the effect of gentrification, since even though downtown project was not as successful as we all hoped it could be, you have seen the rise of like more expensive high rise or like low tier apartments that not really benefiting the community that was there already, but more like pushing them out. So we've seen a lot of that push out already in the past three years. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can only keep pushing people so far. Um, and I don't know where the city is trying to push these people to go. Um, so that's, I think that's one thing that we can do a little more research about. Um, when, is that, when is that bill being pushed through? Or when is that bill getting? I believe they're, they're going for city council vote tomorrow, November 5th. So hopefully by the next time we're having a conversation, we'll see what was the outcome of that. 
And as I mean, as a citizen of Las Vegas, how do you participate in that vote? By first seeing if you voted for the person that you think you're gonna re- is gonna represent people better. So last year we had a municipal election. So I think three of the six city wards, they all had elections, and they have like a first or second choice. So in what was this? March of last year, you had the first round that there was like seven candidates that were running for city ward three. A couple of my friends were in working some of these campaigns, and. In the first round, you eliminated people that were that were not qualified or that were too scandalous, like Ruben Kewen, and you had Olivia Diaz push on to the next round against Melissa Clary. No, but how do you, like for this particular bill, how does that? Oh, you're going to have to show up for the city, for the meeting. And is, if, that, is, just, is that a vote of eyes and nose or? They're going to show up. So you're gonna have, you, you can go to City Hall, which is downtown on Main Street. You go to the city hall, and I believe there's a chambers where the city council meets. So the city council meets, they should have a, they tend to have these public sessions in which people can go there, see what's going on, and when they open it for public comment, you can present your case against or for that bill. It's pretty accessible here in Clark County. If you go to the Clark County Commission building down a couple blocks from that, from the city hall, you can see when the commission meets and when you can voice your concerns about ordinances or things that are being proposed for the county as a whole. Yeah, and you can see the, if you go to the websites, you can, I believe, I'm not so sure about Vegas, but for sure for the county, you can see those sessions that the commission was been, was meeting at. That is good to know. That's how, like, that's how movements sort of do it. For those people that were opposed for any development in Red Rock Canyon, they have shown up to these meetings to try to, like, voice their opposition against this when there's a bill being considered for development. Are you guys doing anything in that? Well, for the people I work with right now, we're focused mostly right now on federal issues. Earlier this year, we were focused uh, on state issues that concern the environment, protection of the lands. We're a really diverse state, unique fauna and flora, and of course, we share the lands with our fellow tribesmen. Over the Paiute tribes, the Western Shoshone, for example, they're the nearest tribes to us. All right, folks, so as you've heard, uh, a pretty good deep dive of the importance of caucuses and primaries and as you've heard the dates uh, Guillermo why don't you remind the folks again when is Iowa and when is Nevada? Oh well for Iowa the caucus that will be February 3rd so they're the first people that get a chance to vote we will see what their opinion is and which one of these 12 candidates that are still in the race deserves the national vote then you have New Hampshire their primary February 11th also representative of what people want on a regular voting style. And then you got us Nevada, the first in the West, as the logo, as the motto says, which is February 22nd. So keep an eye out for that one the most, I say, in our, my humble opinion, since Nevada is more representative of the country than other states are. Yeah, so this is really important for, um, for everyone to kind of just get a little bit more involved with What's going on? As we've stated earlier, it's 364 days till general election, and there's a whole lot that goes in uh, between that. So, with everything that's going on in our political nature and the atmosphere um, that we've seen in the last three years, I think it's really important that you 
participate locally into local politics into national because as we've seen and experienced what's with what's everything that's happening uh, this is something that we do not want to repeat and I'm sure that um, a lot of you feel the same way maybe you don't but you know as important as it is it's a good realm to understand um, the temperature that we're in right now any closing last words register to vote talk to your community see how you can get involved if you want to make a difference if you don't like how things are looking like vote if you like how things are looking like vote because some people are going to vote against you so vote uh, on a lighter note <laughs> had spicy chicken sandwich today oh how was that you know for it was so the whole craze went out in what in like July I believe so. uh, in like, summertime okay, something like that I never I never just got on the, uh, the I never just got in the, in the in the in the craze of it because uh-huh. I always seen the line and I'm just like eh, it's not, not really. it's too I mean, much right yeah there's down the street <laughs> for me you know I've never really been interested and today they just released it yesterday okay uh, November third uh-huh. they released it because I guess it was like they were not a chicken or I don't know they were like resupplying the stores for uh, the chicken I'm like that's crazy so today I w- I went and got it and the uh, you know, overall, it was it was like it's it's pretty good. I mean, I give it like a solid three point five out of five. Okay, I would say, right? The bread was good. Um, I'm not a fan of the pickles with it inside it, and the chicken itself could have been a little more crispier. I mean, okay. I like I like my chicken extra crispy, especially with some Popeyes. Uh, but it definitely broke my Popeye spicy chicken sandwich cherry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Does it does it have this compared to like their Cajun style chicken though? I you know Popeyes still are still tops it for me right because okay. the battle has always been like what Popeyes or what's the next like churches KFC KFC right so like Popeyes churches KFC um, I don't know is El Pollo Loco on there I like El Pollo Loco they got good chicken right but I guess we're talking about fried chicken well fried chicken right but Popeyes will always do it for me just because the, the the, the actual taste of it you know I'm not really a fan of uh, KFC because it's never really that crunchy okay right it's, it's always a little bit on the on the soggy side and churches is okay okay Popeyes like their actual chicken like I think I've been eating Popeyes since uh, f- maybe fifth grade okay you know uh, since they were back in the days I think they had a Tuesday special where it was like 99 cents for yes. a wing and a thigh and a biscuit now mm. it's like a dollar fifty nine, but you know it's still a great deal yeah, no, I've seen. I remember that. That's they got good stuff. <laughs> they just uh, have been trying to stay away from that until like they say, "Oh, the chicken sandwich is gonna be back." I was like, "I'm gonna have to try that out." Yeah, the line. I mean, I went today at like twelve fifteen, and there was. I mean, I waited a good like twenty minutes. Holy crap! Are you serious? Yeah, there was a good amount of people in line. So, uh, but, I mean, it's still there. Yesterday they said they were like just out the door. So it's it's. Uh, I wish people lined up to vote as they do to line up for a spicy chicken sandwich. Maybe someday, but you know, sometimes you gotta eat. And that's that's all I have to say. Yep. <laughs> all right, y'all. So stay tuned um, till next week's or the next episode that we're gonna. Um, so stay tuned until next episode. We'll be diving into the next 364 days, um, everything that runs along it. So we'll be diving into Super Tuesday, the National Convention, the General Convention, um, 
multiple municipal elections uh, we're going into organizing power especially here in Nevada and everything that the union has a good hold of power in the political realm uh, like Guillermo said Vegas is a unique city where unions can do control maybe not control but they have a huge um, influence in the political realm of everything that's going on so stay tuned uh, we hope you enjoyed this first episode and we're really looking forward to putting out future episodes for you guys thanks for listening thank you so much subscribe like and rate us